Good morning, George. Good morning, Camille. How was your week? I know you conducted a retreat this week, but you don't do that every week. Other weeks you do another stuff like how does this differ? How do you work these out? Yeah, this is a very different thing. I only do it a few times a year. Sometimes I do just like a one-day event or retreat for folks. For this particular client, it's usually a two or three-day where they go off-site and facilitate the retreat. doesn't happen very often, which is good because it requires lots of prep and energy. And I definitely, the day after, was like, whoo, going to take a little time off now. But yes, that's what I was doing this week. I was off running a retreat. It was a three-day leadership retreat. The group ranged from 20 to 25 people or so. Whoa. Yes, pretty, but it didn't feel that usually I would say pare it down. And we've talked about this with this group. We need to have a smaller group. So when I go do something like this, the type of retreat that I was doing, it's definitely gets harder the more people you have in the room because there's more voices to manage, but you're also trying to hear all the voices. But in this case, because I've been working with them for a while and I know so many of them and they have been gelling pretty well as a team, it actually was not that hard to do. So one of my things that I discovered just think was just kind of coming front of mind was just like the size of the group. While we try to control that in terms of what's going to make this the kind of meeting, you do have to think about the dynamics of the team itself and how well do you know them and all of that. And there's a lot of other factors than just a number because people are always like, well, how many people is a number? Depends. Yeah. I was going to ask you exactly about this. I would say that one of the things that i like background annoying for me at my job is sometimes I'll get invited to a thing like this. It's meant for leadership at some level of leadership. And, you know, every once in a while, there'll be a thing where there's like 150 leaders company-wide and a 20,000 person company. So relatively small for that group, but it's too big to be personalized. The problem I have is when it's maybe 15 people in our organization, I'm just on the bubble, like I'm just out. And I know I would benefit from being there and I would probably have something to contribute, but I don't blame them for living the audience because otherwise it's just too unwieldy. How do you figure out how to manage which people should be there versus didn't be there? And like for the next layer down that's not invited, how do you deal with them? We had exactly that problem for this retreat. Welcome to The Belief Shift, the show that explores what you really need to know about building a successful small business. I'm your host, Camille Rapaz, small business coach and consultant who spent too much of her career working in corporate business performance. And I'm George Trapeau, your co-host and her brother. I'm a leader in the tech world, bringing my corporate perspective, but mostly my curiosity. Together, we're exploring beliefs about success and how to achieve it, but mostly we're bringing practical solutions so you and your business can thrive. I guess I want to back up because okay. we just dove into, how was the yeah. retreat this week? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you and me talking, which yeah. is good. So let's do that. And the audience can listen in on what we normally talk about. But I do want to say for the listeners, I really was thinking about coming out for this retreat because this is one of my bigger clients. And I'm typically talking to smaller businesses on this podcast. But yeah. also we have talked about that at some level, business is just business. So big or small, the same essential principles and challenges mostly still apply. And so I was thinking about coming off this retreat, like what are some good takeaways I'd want to bring back to my audience? So I do okay. have that, but I think Great. for the purposes of getting to those takeaways, this is a perfect question because it is one of the core challenges that I have whenever I'm thinking about doing these things. And small business owners might not run into this as much if they don't have a very big business or a very big team, but it doesn't take much of a team for a business owner to already be questioning well, is it worth it to have these people in the room or not? Yeah. I might only have two people, but is that just going to slow me down, even if it's just these two people? Or should I burden those people with what I think is my work to do by bringing them into this? So I talked about the workshop that I did. One of my small business owners, she only has a team of maybe four or five people, and she brought two of them into it, which was brilliant because they got to collaborate and it was great. So that was a great example of her making a choice of who to bring in and how it would be valuable. But back to your question about how do you make that decision for these bigger events, it really does start with what's the objective? Like, what do we want to achieve? What outcome are we looking for out of this event? And I do find okay. that a lot of times people put these retreats together or these events and they're like, oh, we should do a retreat on that. 
And the whole thing gets designed without thought to what is the outcome we want from it. And so a bunch of stuff gets jammed in. You've probably been to one of these. A bunch of stuff gets jammed in because people want to be heard. Hey, I want to present about my XYZ project. Or they were a little (laughs) bit maybe lazy and putting together their own meeting. And then they see, oh, all the people I need to talk to are here. So maybe I can like get my to-do on my list done by Uh, talking about it here. So I'm getting triggered. (laughs) (laughs) people just start to pile on. And when I do this, there is call for topics. Like, what would you guys like to talk about? Because like, we do want to know what they're thinking, but then we also have to put in there, remember what the objective is of this meeting. So now it's, does your topic fit with our objective? And Mm -hmm. so this group, we've been getting better at that over time. Instead of just having a bunch of stuff piled on, we've been getting better at what do we really need to do here and talk about? We had spent the last couple of months in lots and lots of Zoom sessions putting together their strategic plan for 2023. And this meeting was to really finalize that these are their top initiatives. They all agree. These are our top strategic initiatives. And granted, we're a little late in the process. We should have done this sooner in the year. So they started this process late this year. They recognized like, yeah, we really need to do this. And we know we're a little late on this, but let's do it. So we were establishing... Yes, we agree these are the initiatives, and now we're going to set them up for action. So how do we turn this work into actionable work in the organization, as opposed to, and my beautiful PowerPoint that says, here are my top (laughs) initiatives is done, and I checked the box of I did my strategic planning work. Yeah. So that was the whole point of that. So when we knew that was the objective, and because we had done... uh, all of this pre-work coming into it, we made sure that the pre-work set us up for a good retreat. So I knew like, we need to get to X point in order for this thing to go well. So we did all that pre-work. And then because we knew the objective, it became really clear who needed to be in the room. And so while this is typically considered their executive leadership team retreat, yeah, that got expanded to a lot of other leaders who really needed to be there because their contributions to these initiatives was so significant. Hmm. So we did have a a bigger group than normal. And then we expanded that group even on one of the days when we were taking a deep dive to include some other subject matter experts from other departments in case we needed their input and anything that we were missing anything on the initiatives. That was how we decided how to manage that. That's ultimately what you want to do is make sure that every person in the room really is serving a purpose and that they know what that is. And also that they know how you are expecting them to contribute. Are you just on the sidelines? You're here to listen and add in. Are you actually doing activities and collaborating with the group? How are they supposed to show up? We could have done that a little bit better for the people that showed up who weren't used to this meeting. But we were able to include them in the conversations and it went well. It didn't slow us down. The big fear is that the more people you put in the room, the more voices there are to hear, the longer it's going to take and you won't have time. So we also built the retreat knowing that that could happen and made sure we had some time for, we we had, we don't typically have a lot of wiggle room. We allotted enough time for each of these, knowing that there could be some long conversations, but we also knew each topic would get cut off at a certain point in time regardless of how far it got. So that initiative owner could end up with some more homework than some others, depending on how well the conversation went. Yeah. Okay. Did that really answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. It answers it really well. I guess one follow-up I would have is, okay, so I I get it. You had had a very clear idea about how to decide on the core group that needs to be there. In this particular retreat, there were some other people who were not core, but you invited in for one session because they had key information. That's great. I get that too. Still, there's going to be a group of people who may be leaders, but not the absolute senior leadership or they're involved, but not enough to be worth the trade-off of making in the room versus slowing things down. It would slow things down too much. So you decided to leave this group out, but they're important. How do you deal with them after the workshop? Get them the information they need to know or something so they can lead the rest. Yes. Some of that we actually did before the workshop. So have you ever heard this term catchball? Catchball? I don't yeah. think so. No. It's a lean term. So it's used a lot in strategy deployment concepts when you're doing a lean strategic plan. 
Okay. And what it is, it's a process of when you're coming up with your strategic plan, you do this process called catch ball. So top leaders are coming up with their plans. And then the idea is you're supposed to then toss the ball to your team. And then your team tosses the ball back. And the ball is the ideas. So you go to your teams and you say, here's the ideas we have in the strategic plan. What questions do you have, but also add to it. So you would improve on the strategic plan by getting their input. And so you do this catch ball process down through the layers of the organization. So this was the pre-work we did. So they came up with their initiatives. And then we had these catch ball conversations where we were already getting input from other layers of leadership in the organization in terms of what are we missing in these initiatives? Does this feel like the thing to you? Those kinds of things. That's brilliant. May I react to that? Mm-hmm. My reaction is incredible frustration, actually, because I can think <laughs> of some meetings that I have not been a part of in the past year and a half regarding reorg stuff that I personally think I have a say in, I think I can contribute to, but I'm not in those meetings. But I've had very little idea what the agenda is for those meetings. And if the leader had just called on another group of us and said, hey, we're going to meet, you're not in the meeting, but here's the agenda that we're going to talk about, basically, except for secret stuff. And would you like to add to that? I would have felt so much more included, even though not in the meeting. It would be great knowing what are these people meeting about? I don't have to hear about the meeting. I know, oh, this is what they're going to talk about. And that would lower tension for me. Also, I'd be able to tell my team that would be fantastic. But my current leadership doesn't really do that. And so the secret meetings stay much more mysterious than they really need to be. And they also gain the kind of bad kind of interest that they don't need to have. I mean, they're important, but not that exciting usually. This is, damn it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because the what other you do thing is awesome. Means, why, thank you. Well, the other thing that happens when you have these conversations, you have these leadership, I'm doing air quotes and being snarky, your leadership meeting. <laughs> like you're not leading anybody when you have a conversation at the leadership level that doesn't have input from the people that you're supposed to lead. Like, what are you actually yeah. doing? You're you're all in this echo chamber of all of your VP level ideas. And you think you're all the smartest people in the room, but you're missing all. We, we got so many great ideas by going down to these other levels. So here's the reason organizations don't do it. Okay. It's time consuming. Yeah. I had countless hours of meetings where we just facilitated a conversation with a leader and their team walking through all the initiatives and getting their input. And in some cases, developing then their own goals they wanted for, they're like, well, that means what we should work on is this, this, and this, which was also the point was then what would you and your department want to work on in support of this? But these are the priorities this year. And it really helped them line up. So different departments aren't working on different things. It's that idea. We all want to be rowing in the same direction. Yes. So that's really helpful. This is my third or fourth time I've done a retreat with them. And this time, what was really obvious was how often their frontline employees were brought up and they even called it out Hmm. as, Hey, we want to do more of this. We want to get them more involved in this. We brought them up a lot in this conversation. And I know it's because their voice of them was in these initiatives. We didn't go all the way to the front line, but we gotten close enough that we were getting that voice. We were getting their manager. Who's like, yeah, I know what my team's up against as opposed to, you know, the VP who doesn't know what's going on at the front line. Hmm. So that really made a big difference in terms of how we were talking about the work, which is huge. If we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have that voice. We wouldn't have that connection. And one of the things that they had in their employee engagement survey was a lack of vision for the organization was one of their negatives on their employee engagement survey. And so immediately they're like, well, we're solving that problem now because we're making the strategic vision so clear Mm. because we just talked about it with everybody. And we also gave them, even though we didn't go all the, I didn't participate in the conversation all the way to the front line. We gave each of the leaders then the, here's what you need to have your next level conversation and share it back up. So it is intended to go all the way to the front line and catch ball all the way back up. But yeah, it's really about making people feel like they belong, but also it's so much more than just now I have included it. It's not just a communication. It's not just, let me just tell you what's happening. Cause some people are like, well, can't I just do that in one big town hall? No, you can't do catch ball in a town hall. 
that's not town halls are different town halls are here's all the information that I want to convey to the organization and they're very important for leaders to do but it's very different from the let's play catch ball let me throw an idea to you and have you throw it back to me that's different yeah. it's also a messy process so one leader had said to me when we were talking about doing it with him he's like well you know my team might get a little chippy and has some things to say. And I don't know if you guys really want that. Do you really want that level? I'm like, no, that's exactly why I want to talk to your team. I want to hear if they have resistance to any of this, or if they disagree with any of it, I want to know. And they didn't, they just had some really great things to say. Like they were mostly reinforcing, but in a kind of a, it's about time way that we work on some of this stuff. Yeah. So even the knowing that some of the leaders just were a little bit resistant to oh, I don't know if I want to open that can of worms and have to manage that conversation. That's also a lot of times why you bring somebody like me in who can manage that conversation as opposed to the leader's just going to hear a lot of the same complaining and not really sure what to do with it. I can do something different with it because I'm not emotionally connected to all of that. Yeah. So that's the beauty of catchball. Think about it in terms of strategies when we talk about catchball, but just doing it for any given meeting you're going to have, how brilliant would that be? Yeah, Every meeting would no be better. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and even though it would take a little bit of extra time, I think the payoff would be well worth it. Me too. Yes. Because if you don't, like I said, people who hear about these meetings or are not in it oftentimes get uneasy about it for no real good reason they knew it was actually going on, but they're not informed. So there's all this kind of Uh, I don't know what to call it. Well, unease that happens. And then on the back end, you have to spend more time communicating all this context that would have been faster if you just ended it up front. It saves time and heartburn. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the retreat, we go around and ask each leader to share what's the messaging they're taking back to their team of the work they accomplished in the retreat. And we're making sure that we're aligned, but also people are getting good ideas. Like, oh, that was a good one. I'm going to, I'm going to share that with my team too. So it's a little bit of a sharing your ideas exercise, but it makes them just deliberately think about it. And what's great in doing that is we were able to hear there was a lot of common messaging, but as I was listening to it, I was realizing, oh, because of all the pre-work we did, all of their teams none of this is going to feel uncomfortable or surprising or awkward to them. They're going to be like, oh yeah, that's great. Because they already knew what they were going to do going into it. Yeah. So they're aware of these topics. They're aware of this process. It won't be like, well, now we just got handed a bunch of goals we got to work on. What was us? You know, it's it's not going to be that. It's going to be like, okay, so here's the work we did. Here's what we specifically decided we're doing next. Out of all that great work we did with you before, it's going to be easier for them to deliver the message of, Here's because the message coming out of this retreat was we have a long list of strategic initiatives and we have a lot of work to do this year, but we're all in. So somebody on the front line could be like, I don't, I can't do all of that. Or it's mostly going to be like middle management that's going to get hit hard by a strategic initiative. So they'll be able to feel more supported in that process than if it was just dumped on them. So if you don't mind my asking, What were your takeaways from this? My takeaways were really around the first big one was just the idea of collaborating and engaging with employees resulted in a far better strategy for this organization than they'd had in the past. So this was the first time we'd done the process in the past. They had typically had a strategic planning template that they gave to their leaders and said, fill this out and Uh tell us what you're going to do in these key areas. Okay. So it was very not collaborative, just leaders tell us what you're going to do so we can like hold you accountable to something. That process was okay for them at the stage they were in, in terms of maturity as an organization, but they really had come through working on some of the basics. You know, it was like, we just have to close some gaps in, we have to take care of safety and compliance and customer service and all the basic stuff is all they were really looking at. How are we just going to get all of this stuff stabilized? And finances was the big thing they had to stabilize. So they had just been working on that, but it, it didn't ever result in these big collaborative breakthrough. As I talk about the breakthrough versus stability goals, these breakthrough goals that were going to really level them up. 
And last year was the first year they really had an opportunity to engage fully in some breakthrough ideas. So kind of partway through the year, they started really developing these and having these breakthrough ideas they were going to work on. So that's why this year it made sense. I'm like, well, your framework doesn't have a place for those now because it only Mm. has a place for the basics. It only had a place the way that they had their templates designed. It really only had a place for your basic safety and compliance and all that stuff and revenue (laughs) and customer service. So they have like five or six of those. And so this really opened them up to, oh, now we have a, we have a way to think about this from a bigger perspective. And so this process of doing it more collaboratively and getting people engaged in it, they acknowledged at the end of this, wow, this was a far better way for us to develop the strategy with, again, that secondary benefit for them was the employees are going to just get so much clarity in the vision of the organization and feel like they're part of it. And that being one of their low marks on their employee engagement survey meant it was really meant something to them. But I think a lot of organizations struggle with this. Even the small ones, you could just have a handful of people and they're still like, I don't, not really sure what the vision of my business, you know, my, my boss is. Yeah. And it can even be worse at the small business level because small business owners can be easily distracted. Like, you know what? I have this idea for this and I, and you can visibly see it when you're a small business. Like, why is my boss going off and working on that idea? Are we this now? Are we going to do that now? (laughs) So they can actually visibly see that much clearer than, you know, in a big company, the big boss can be off working on some cool new strategy and nobody would know about it for a long time until they talk about it. So I think it's even more important to have that alignment around the vision and the direction of the organization in small businesses, because it's so much easier to see it if there is misalignment. So that was one of my bigger takeaways from the retreat. We talked about some of this in the past five minutes too, and really flushed that out about the employees gaining clarity by engaging them better. That makes a lot of sense to me. What else? So another one was, and I was really thinking about the belief shifts. And I made me want to- Yeah, those are rock solid. They are unchangeable and there's eight of them and that's it. (laughs) This is it. Nobody needs (laughs) anything else. It's a perfect science. I was thinking about the belief shifts and how the word shift is so important to me, like shifting in that direction, but they're not absolutes. It gets back to what I've said before, where sometimes we want things to be black and white. The main belief shift in this retreat actually was process over outcomes. That was our entire mantra whole three days because we had defined our outcomes. We have our initiatives. We know what we want to get to, Okay. but now we have to shift our focus to the process to get there, which meant what are the specific projects we're going to do to make these initiatives? Because these initiatives, most of them were over a couple of years, Okay. not just a single year. They're multi-year initiatives to really do what they're trying to do. So there's a few projects in there. So they had to get specific about, and what's the process to get there? How am I gonna do that? So even though we were focused on that, there were a lot of other belief shifts that came up as we were talking through this work that I realized, yeah, there's a time when the belief shift that we're trying to shift away from, sometimes it's necessary. So for example, planning Mm. it over winging it. Yeah. You can't literally plan everything. No. And you should not plan everything. Sometimes going with your gut and winging it works and is really effective. And it is one of the challenges I sometimes have when I'm trying to help people make this shift towards even when we were shifting towards the processes that we wanted to follow and how we wanted to do it, I would get some pushback from like, yeah, but what we just did was we had this amazing year last year and everything that we did was great. And so shouldn't we look at how we did that? It's like, well, you did that with a lot of chaos, a lot of winging it. And frankly, you made a lot of sacrifices. Is that sustainable? It made things work last year. But this company in particular, a leader acknowledged that they made some very specific sacrifices that he does not want to repeat. Really? But he had to, because he said, we had to have the financial turnaround last year that we made. This was the only way I could see to do it. And it absolutely had to happen last year, or we just wouldn't exist anymore. Wow. So sometimes you see companies make these choices because they get themselves in this trap where this is our only way out. And at the end of the day, we talk about what you want versus what the business needs. 
Yeah. What he wants for the business is this beautiful vision of employee engagement and happy employees and all of this stuff. And that's a great way of running his business. I mean, he's got a much broader and more clever vision than that, but you know, he has a happy (laughs) company vision. But what happened last year was they really drove people hard to get the results they needed. And they had a lot of turnover. Uh, Some of it was good for them, but not all of it. Yeah. And ultimately the level of turnover always creates tension for whoever's left. It's putting more work on them. <laughs> it's just the stress of why are so many people leaving? Should I now be thinking about leaving, but I like it here. What do I do? It affects the culture in a negative way, even when you don't intend for, even if those were the people to leave, a lot of yeah. people leaving can feel really stressful. And so that was very hard on the organization and he could see it. He had very specific feedback that he'd received where he knew, yeah, I didn't intend for any of that to happen and I don't want it to keep happening, but I don't know that I could have done anything different last year in order for us Mm -hmm. to actually get this financial turnaround. We had to push on these spaces to make this happen. So that's really a story of while what he did wasn't sustainable. The belief shifts exist in a place of, if you want a sustainable company, you have to shift everything towards these, this direction of building a strong foundation, focusing on planning it over winging it, really thinking about making trade-offs over full-on sacrifices. Those are the things that you have to shift towards to have sustainability, but they're not absolutes. Sometimes you're going to do a quick fix. Sometimes you're going to wing it. Sometimes you're going to just, you know, make some sacrifices because otherwise the business is literally going to go under. You're trying to avoid that by shifting in this other direction, but you can't always because business is business and it has its very specific needs and it only exists to make money. And if it's not making money, then it's not a viable business. And that's the number one thing. Yeah. I'm going to come back and ask questions about this. And that sits well with me but I want to take a devil's advocate position. So I'm a person, I'm running my small business and I'm in this mindset of I'm everything in my business is kind of an emergency needs to happen and right now. I don't have time to stand back and kind of plan things out. I go with my gut has worked for me for a while and it just feels like it's just beyond manageability, but I don't see a way through. How do I shift my mindset? So I'm mostly in a belief shift and not, back on my old behaviors. And when do I know to give myself permission when it's okay to say, okay, I'm going to break the belief shift for now, but how do I get to that place where I know the difference? This is a tough one because the way that you work as a, well, for anybody, anybody just working, whether you're running a business, you're a leader in a company, or you're just you know a frontline employee, it's really easy to get caught up in that my busyness and my chaos that I work within yeah. Equals I'm working hard and therefore I'm successful. Yeah. Because our culture equates hard work, just working a lot of hours is what I mean. Mm-hmm. The work itself doesn't have to be hard, but I sat at my desk for 12 hours today. <laughs> yes. And that means I am a successful human being. So there is a mindset even just around that fundamentally that you have to acknowledge like, okay, I am already dealing with a culture that expects me. So especially as a business owner expects that I must have to work 24 seven to make that business survive. Yeah. So that's one thing is to recognize that is just how the world expects this to work and you get caught up in that. So then you have to realize, and this is most of when clients come to me, they come to me at a point of, this is what I'm doing. And I know it's not sustainable, but I don't know how to get out. Hmm. Like I am working in chaos. I am working in my business and not on my business. I have this long-term plan I want to do, but I'm never going to get there if I keep doing what I'm doing. It's Groundhog Day every day and I'm just churning and I'm super busy. And on the outside, I look like a successful business owner because the financials look good and I'm busy all the time. But internally, I am totally not happy because I don't have time to do the stuff I actually want to do. Yeah, This happens to leaders. This happens to just regular employees. It happens to all of us. We get so caught up in the doing that we don't take time to reflect. We've talked about that a lot and we don't take time to make a shift. 
So the first thing I think people have to do in order to take on any of this belief shift business in your business or in your job is you have to acknowledge that I am going to have to make a choice to do one thing different. Now, eventually many things, but just start with like, I need to do one thing differently. I cannot keep doing what I'm doing and recognize that how I'm working in my business is just now a habit of how I do it, how I respond to emails, how I respond to clients, how I manage the business. It's become habitual over years. This is just how we do it. And you're going to have to break some of those habits. And we know how hard that is. We should probably do a whole episode on habits because it's really hard to break out of that because it starts with, you know, it's your mindset and then the actions that you're putting to that. So I guess I would say just acknowledging that it's not just an easy, magical thing to do, but it does require you to choose. You have to choose to change something. And I think that starts with like, pick a belief shift that resonates with you and start focusing on that. So maybe your first focus is just, I'm going to start focusing on planning it over winging it. And that doesn't mean I have to start with a big, giant, annual strategic plan for my business. I could just start by planning my day instead of letting my day have control over me, as in I wake up and see what's on my calendar. And then I just go through my day with whatever's on my calendar. I wake up and plan out what I want to do this week and make that fit first. And actually an example of this came up in the retreat. We'll talk about this at some point too. There's a set of nine leadership behaviors that we focus on with them. And one of those leadership years is embrace standardization. And so one of their jobs in the last retreat was to come up with one thing they could do as a leader to improve on how they embrace the concept of standardization. And one of the themes that came up for them was they wanted to be better at the standard for themselves personally as a leader of spending time Monday morning making their plan for the week. Wow, cool. Very simple. Very simple. But really effective because what, so this particular leader said, I wanted to do it because I wanted to be able to be more supportive to my other people. So whether it was your team or vendors or just other people they work with. So instead of making last minute changes in his calendar, he would plan his week. He'd plan out who he wanted to talk to. If he needed to change a meeting, he'd do it then instead of five minutes before the meeting that he was about to be double booked on. Cause that's how he was doing it before. It was like, oh shoot, I got to change this thing on them today. He was using actually one of their other core principles, which is respect for people. So he was combining, I'm going to use standardization to demonstrate respect for people by being more thoughtful and planning my week on Monday and then being thoughtful about how that all plays out. So it allowed him to plan for time with his one-on-ones or plan for, you know, whatever he needed to do. So something like that is this, this like small shift that you can make in starting to get more in this direction of. I'm starting to shift my beliefs towards a more sustainable way to run my business than the way that I'm running it now. And that would actually be a great place to start. If you don't do Monday morning planning of your week, start doing that. What I'm hearing from this, if I really oversimplify it, if you're not thinking according to the belief shifts, you're kind of in ragged mode, start with one, start simply kind of get in the mode of shifting how you think, shifting your mindset. Do that for a while. Once you do that, it's going to be more natural and easier to think process over outcomes or planning it over winging. And it's not going to happen all at once. It's not going to happen all of them, but you will get there. And after you're used to thinking that way, you probably naturally have a better idea of like, okay, it's okay for me to think sacrifice versus trade-off. Yeah, I think there's saying we used to have, which was to, you've got to act your way into a new way of thinking. Uh, Yeah. We often think that we've just got to have the mindset to do the thing, but what actually changes your brain is the activity. Yeah. Take it till you make it. Yeah, in a way. So yes, that's also why I say micro moves, like just do a small thing because that small activity can have really big implications in terms of how you start to rewire your brain. And when you start to do the small thing and you start to see, okay, this is kind of working, it makes you want to do a little bit more and a little bit more. And there'll be a snowball. Like Mm -hmm. it won't just be like, you know, people might be listening thinking, oh my gosh, that's going to take forever. I don't have time to wait for all these little micro moves to add up to something. (laughs) You start small, but at some point there'll be a massive shift. You'll be ready for the bigger move. Yeah. 
you'll be ready to take on a bigger shift in your beliefs and you'll be ready to change your actions in a bigger way. But when you start out, you got to start out small, understanding that behavior change is really at the core of what we're talking about. And that's just not an easy thing to do. I don't really want to get into a whole discussion about the human potential movement, parts of which I really like, parts of which I don't like. But Tony Robbins, one thing I like about him when I heard him talk is that he'll usually start new people out with like very small scale, very small things. Like for today, just do one simple thing, incredibly simple, and maybe focus on we'll do five things in a week. If you keep doing this, something small in 30 days, then look back, you will see you're changing. That's this. Yes. I will just note that I really don't want to have any affiliation with Tony Robbins at all for my own personal reasons, but yes, that one thing is okay. That thinking starting very small can have effects and faster than you think. Yes. Faster than you think. Do not ever underestimate the power of that micro move. It is so, so powerful. And whenever I get people to truly get down to micro, yeah. Most people even struggle with that. I'm like, no, that's too big. Get smaller. And they're like, smaller. <laughs> what? I'm not even doing anything. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. you are. <laughs> you are. It's yeah. so easy. How could you not do it? And yet you're doing it because then you're going to add on and add on. So yes, it's such an important way to start through this work. So I think even if you're really struggling with making that shift from the crazy chaotic business that you're in, and you want to focus more on working on the business and you're trying to get the freedom that you went into this whole thing for, and you lost it. Like most business owners, their number one thing is like, I want freedom. That's Mm. why I'm doing it, but I don't have freedom. turns out I do have a boss and the boss is my business. Okay, so belief shifts are good, they're solid, but they're not absolute. That's a takeaway. Anything else did you get from this? Yeah, so my last thing about this was really around the idea of how much, and I know this, but it's a way that I go into planning this kind of work when I do it, but okay. it's this idea that it's much easier to develop yourself. So it's much easier to develop yourself or for me to develop leaders or business owners and teach them new principles when we're doing actual work versus I'm just teaching a concept. And that's where the difference from, I'm teaching lots of concepts in this podcast, but the real way that people will see change happen is by doing. So even in the retreat, I realized, oh, I have my own little retreat belief shift that I always focus on, which is activity over PowerPoint. So one of my biggest, like (laughs) proudest moments of this retreat was literally all of day two in this retreat, zero PowerPoint. Really? We didn't use it at all. There were a couple other presenters in there. So I didn't do the entire thing. There were some few things that happened on the first day and on the last day, but I was, I don't know, 70, 80% of the retreat was me, something like that. And I made a total of Less than 10 slides. That's all I made. That's impressive. Were they like six point slides with a lot of text? (laughs) Not at all. I even hesitated to do that. I was making notes and I was like, "Ah, I should probably just make a slide of this because they're going to want to see it. And so I'm always just making my notes first and then deciding what's the most important thing for them to visually actually see versus just paying attention to my words or us talking it through. This one was just very activity-based. So we did have some stuff on the screen, but it was actually a roadmap we were developing together. And that's all we did on day two was just work that roadmap together. What goes here? What's next? What are you going to start with? Who's got to be involved? And we were just building that out so they could get a sense of what all the work looked like and whether that was going to be sustainable or not. It's cool. Yeah. So definitely this idea of doing the work and being willing to try as a way to learn I think that's very hard. We want to go to class and have the answers and not get embarrassed and do all of the stuff. And the best thing that any leader business owner can do is to kind of just fumble your way through some stuff. That is a faster way to learning than trying to get it all figured out before you try. You're going to learn so much faster just by doing it. I'll have people who are just going to start a new business. And they're just trying to figure out how it all works. The first thing I tell them to do is start primarily service-based businesses. I will tell them, go start seeing clients. I don't care if it's for free, just do it because you're going to learn so much about your Hmm. process and what your business needs and how it all works by doing it than by thinking about it. 
you just have to start doing that as soon as you possibly can. Sounds scary. Sounds really useful. Yeah, it is scary. Again, though, because we live in this silly society of we're not supposed to make mistakes, I guess. Yeah. We're not really good at celebrating failure as a learning opportunity. In my mind, I think you're only failing if you did not learn. So if you screwed something up and you have no learning from it and you just think, well, that was just what it was and you just walk away from it. Yeah. Then it was a failure. But if you failed at something and then learned, then it wasn't a failure because it actually did advance you forward, just not in the way you expected. That makes perfect sense to me. Some great takeaways. Thanks. So what can our audience do with them? The audience can really take these three takeaways and apply them themselves Hmm. by collaborating with their team. Or if you don't have a team, finding some fellow entrepreneurs that you can collaborate with. So this is where there's lots of different shapes and sizes of groups for small business owners to come together, whether it's in-person networking, online member groups, master, big masterminds. There's a lot of different ways that business owners can do that. And I think everybody should find a home. I have a membership for small business owners that we meet every week. And it's literally, they're like, if we didn't have this, I don't think I'd still be starting my business because they would just lose momentum and also lose sight of like, what am I supposed to do next? Because nobody's telling you. Yeah. So you need to find this community where you can talk things through and keep that momentum going. The second one I would say is don't beat yourself up if you fail at any of these belief shifts. Uh, Yeah, great. Like sometimes you're just going to wing it and that doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad thing. Just know that you can't stay there. You've got a trend towards the plan versus the winging it. You've got a trend towards building systems over the chaos you're living in, but it's never going to be perfect. And sometimes, you know, chaos wins. And even in this retreat, one of our big themes is when we want to reduce the chaos and the churn in the organization, because that churn gets to be more frenetic, the lower down in the organization it goes. And so their job was to deal with the chaos in that room. Like these initiatives still are very chaotic and not clear exactly what we're going to do. We need to work through this chaos and the conversation needs to happen here so we can get clarity that we take out of this room. So chaos does have a place. You have chaos and creativity, or maybe you want to think of chaos. Does It doesn't have to have to be the word chaos, but it could just be just this ambiguity yeah. that you're dealing mm-hmm. with, um, or just, just general messiness or uncertainty. Like those things do have a place, especially in the creative process. So should we do this or do that? We're uncertain, but your job is to turn through it and come out with some clarity, but you always start with some messiness and some chaos, yeah. so just having it have a place. Actually, the even the act of... Calling it something different in this case, I think is more like trade-off versus sacrifice. Like if I call something chaotic, man, that's got such strong connotations. It's scary. It's hard to deal with. But if I say, hey, we've got a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unpredictability, it's not as scary, at least not to me. And I feel like I have more control and it's just a thing. It doesn't have emotion to it. It's just a thing you got to deal with. Everything has uncertainty. Fine. Yeah. 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 And any one of those words might more clearly define one situation versus another. Mostly I think about the process of coming up with your strategic plan. It's, it can just be kind of messy for a while. That's how I think of messy. it. Like this is yeah. all just kind of messy until we figure out how to sort it all out. So it's yeah. like, I've walked into my closet and it's a complete nightmare and everything's messy and everywhere. <laughs> and I got to start sorting it out, but you start with a mess. It's not like you can't overcome it. It just is what it is. And your process as a business leader is I need to sort it out. Yeah. Because you're really heading towards clarity. One of those three high performance principles, clarity, systems, and mindset. Clarity is that thing you're really starting with. And with them, we were focused on clarity and then trying to create the systems to deploy all of that. Hmm. Cool. So the last thing I would say that people can do is just learn by doing. So somebody like a coach can help guide you through this, but you can also just do this on your own, which is just don't be afraid to try something. Don't be afraid to fail at something. Because that failure, again, as long as you had some reflection and learning about it, that's great. But most of the stuff you don't know how to do in your business, it's very hard in business to screw something up so badly you can't fix it. Everything can be fixed and sorted and you can make mistakes. And the most thing that they're going to cost you is time. 
Yeah. But they're not undoable. They don't forever hurt your business. At least not at the level of experimentation that I would expect you would do. If you're talking about a big strategic risk, that could be different. If it's a big financial, you want to do some more due diligence. But at this level of just, I need to learn more about how to run my business better. You can't really fail at just trying strategic planning, for example, if you've never done it before or trying to a better way of organizing your business or a better way of handling your finances or you know, whatever you're trying to get more sustainability around, you just try stuff and see what works and what doesn't. Okay, cool. Overall, good week. Did everybody feel good about it? Yeah. Usually when I do these with them in particular, I try to keep the agenda very fluid. So I have an agenda of what I want to get through. I always start with an objective though. It starts with what's the objective, what's the outcome we want. And then there's an agenda that I hope will get us there. And then I'm usually by half day of day one, changing that thing, which is another reason why I don't create a lot of PowerPoint because I want flexibility because I'll hear where they're at. And I might hear something that, oh, you know what? We actually need to focus on this, not on that topic. And so I make adjustments throughout this time, because we'd done so much pre-work coming into it, we pretty much stayed on the agenda the entire time. And I think that was great for them because they felt like, okay, I knew what to expect and we stuck to it, but also it was so activity focused. They came away with a sense of actually accomplishing stuff instead of just sitting at a retreat for three days and listening to a bunch of information and maybe getting like a couple hours of work done. Like we worked on these things all the time and we set it up so that if a particular topic wasn't relevant to them, they could hang out and be listening, but it was like, you're welcome to do email and be on your laptop if this isn't your topic. So we knew who in the room needed to be focused on the topic and Hmm. who could just kind of hang out. And that completely worked for people because they felt like, oh, I didn't feel like I had to be excluded. And if I heard something, I could chime in, but I could also just do some work on my laptop while I was listening to that topic. That's beautiful. That is really cool. Yeah. There's something else that occurred to me as you're saying this, I'm thinking these Probably most of these people are leaders. Probably most of them are not lazy. They're probably all hard workers and they enjoy work. And so I can imagine myself going into a long meeting and several days long, and I kind of dread it because we're going to be broadcasted to, and it's not going to be that working. But if I have a chance to go into something like this and there's big chunks where we're actually working, that's what I do. I can imagine all these leaders being super engaged because Instead of just thinking or whatever, they're actually doing something. I bet they're totally engaged. Must be a lot of fun, really exciting for them. I hope it was. You (laughs) hear the feedback that you get when you're in the room and then who knows what they're talking about me when I'm not in the room, but they keep having me back. So I must be doing something well. But I think just in general, whenever I have an opportunity to shift a leadership team out of their own heads of just their traditional way of thinking about how they want to talk about their work. For them, it's shifting out of their, you know, their big picture mindset and into an actual plan, but not getting too far into the weeds because it's really easy for them to get into the details. So keeping them at the right level was really important. Yeah. And then the version of this for a small business owner is what you were talking about before, which is, oh, I'm always working in this chaotic mode and I've got to shift up a level up to a strategic way of thinking, whatever direction you're trying to make that shift in to get to that sweet spot of I'm balancing the strategic working on the business work with the actual delivery that my business has to do to make money. Finding that sweet spot for everybody is always some little shift you have to make And it really comes down to, for me, again, you got to just take action and it can be small, but with these guys, it was very much about, we have to just do the actual work here. I'm not going to just tell you what to go do, but we're going to do it together now and come up with what's next. So they all had assignments to go do. They did them and then they had to report out on them. So they had in the moment, how far did you get? What are you doing next? Et cetera. And just having that built in, I think is really important. So doing the action, but also having that accountability, somebody who's going to acknowledge like great job is important. Another, I thought that I just realized came up as I was doing the retreat was I thought, you know, 
even though I'm my own boss, I still need a boss. And no huh. business owner wants to admit this, huh. but we do. Because who's praising me? Who's giving me my good review? Or who's telling yeah. me what my priorities are? Or holding me accountable? A good boss is doing that. They're helping you develop. They're helping you recognize where you're winning and where you've got gaps where you can make improvement. They're helping you establish your goals. All of this stuff. Yeah. When you're your own boss, you're supposed to do that for yourself. And that is not realistic. You can only do so much of that for yourself. So every small business owner, you need to go find who can play that role that a boss would normally have, which is at the end of the day, ultimately why my job even exists as a coach. That's what I do. I fill in that gap of every small business owner actually needs a boss for some of the things that they can't do for themselves. And I think everyone should figure out how to close that gap. Because it is oftentimes why they end up in this super chaotic business that we were talking about. I see. That's fascinating. That's, bonus, that's totally my agree. bonus takeaway. Bonus takeaway. That's a great takeaway. <laughs> Even bosses need bosses. Else, George? Nope. Nothing Did else I for me. Get all your curiosities about the retreat. Yeah. I learned a lot. This is great. I'm glad it went well. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad it went well too. We'll see if I get to go back in May, then I'll know I did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing yes. I hope so. Well, right. thank you everybody for listening in. And we do really want to hear from you. So please leave us a voice message. Go to thebeliefshift.com and leave us a message. Also go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review because that will help more people find us. And follow us on Instagram if you're so inclined. Absolutely. And this year we got to start talking about this more on LinkedIn. So for those of you who are over there, we'll start having a little presence on LinkedIn here soon. And we'll keep you posted on that. Going to ramp that up this year. So I know a lot of people are there and I haven't been uh, hanging out over there. So I got to, got to get my act together and start hanging out more in LinkedIn. We'll do All that right, in cool. February. My own podcast can hold me accountable. That sounds great. All right. Thanks, George. Okay. Thank you. See ya. Thanks everybody. See you next week. Mm-hmm.